You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. And today uh, we're going to talk about John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. And John, if you don't know, or just as a reminder, if you do, John is the fourth gospel that we usually talk about. Gospels, the word gospel uh, means good news, but what these documents are in the Bible, like this is the gospel of Matthew right here. It's another one. These are biographies about Jesus. They're unlike anything we really find today, and they're really, the only thing you can, you can only really compare them to themselves. Okay, they, they, they're very specific from the time that Jesus lived, the kind of literature they are. And they're stories about Jesus. They're biographies about him by eyewitnesses. And we have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them the synoptic gospels because they're similar. Synoptic means seen together, similar. So when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll, you'll realize that the stories are similar. Sometimes the order is different. Sometimes the words are slightly different, but it's generally the exact same story with small differences. And the small differences are most likely because each of these people and the people around them wanted to emphasize different things about Jesus. So what you need to remember is that the people that wrote these knew Jesus personally. Whether you believe in this stuff or not, these things are hard to debate. The people that wrote and were involved in this knew him personally and were writing based on memory and based on conversation with each other about what had taken place and what Jesus had said. And they were comparing their stories to the others. So most likely Mark was written first. And after that, Matthew or Luke, whichever one, was reading Mark and remembering their story and talking to others and filling it in. Saying Mark got it, but Mark's a bit too jumpy and I'm going to add a bit more because he's kind of missing it, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. John is very, very, very different. John seems to be a different person in general. If you were at the calling lab yesterday, some of us were. We think about gifts and calling. John was different than most people in the room. Okay, John was a disciple just like the others. He was an apostle just like the others. But we know because of what John wrote that John's stuff is weird. Okay, John, most likely the disciple John... What we call the Gospel of John, we don't actually know 100% if John wrote it. Because if you read it, it never says John wrote it. And John didn't, the person didn't write Gospel of John on the top. Okay, it's just a bunch of Greek letters smushed together. But by deducing it, most people find it's probably John, most likely John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, most likely. And he wrote the book of Revelation. So this tells you what John is like. Revelation is like his, his big thing at the end of his life, and that's weird. So, so you got to start to think, when you think about the Gospel of John, that John is intentional, and he wants to write something different. He wrote his after the other three had written theirs. So you imagine this guy reads them. He's not correcting the other three. And you'll read this. If you, if you read them carefully, he's not contradicting anything they say. But it's almost like John says, I get it. You've done a good job at emphasizing who Jesus was, but I see a different side of Jesus, that you are talking about, but it needs to be emphasized, and people need to get this, okay? If you think in the room, I often think of John, if, we, if you were there yesterday, we talked about the five gifts of Ephesians chapter 4, and if we're trying to think about, uh, it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and through the scriptures, those kind of people do ministry differently, and they think differently, and if you think about John, John is an apostle, which is hard to argue, 
because of what he does. He, he, he is sent by Jesus, which is the mark of an apostle. And he helps found the church with the others. But John, if anything, is prophetic in the sense that we think that John is living up somewhere, you know? Where Matthew and Mark and Luke are more, you know, walking in the dirt with Jesus, and they're emphasizing the things that Jesus said and did with people, the humanness of Jesus. John is way up in the clouds saying, I get it, guys, but Jesus is like this too. And so what we get is we get John starts completely different than the other three. Or the other, most, most of the other three start with Jesus' birth or an account of his birth in some way or early life. John chapter 1 starts like... I have a screen again. Oh, I'm going to come back to that. In the beginning, this is what he says. I want you to think. He's all intentional. I'm going to write my story like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Everybody got that? John's hard because this is what I meant when I prayed. I mean it, I feel unprepared, but I I would always feel unprepared for this because John's stuff is not coming from, it's inspired, all of it is, but John's writing is inspired. And we'll break it down a bit, but you understand John's, where's John getting this stuff from? You know, if you take it literally and you start reading these things, where's he getting it from? And it's, it's, it's hard because it's hard. Stories, the, the gospels are stories, most simply. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're stories about Jesus. In fact, the scriptures, the entire Bible is a story, a narrative. Genesis chapter 1, which we talk about often, is a story, a poem about the creation of the world, about where we come from and why it happened and why, who, who we come from and why he made us. John has this story in the back of his mind, and you'll see this. John is a Jewish man who's very familiar with Genesis chapter 1. He, his story that he has of life, the story that he thinks about of of what makes, how to make sense of life is Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, okay? In the beginning of all things, the kind of core story that John has. And stories shape who we are. We talk about this at different times, not just here, but this is kind of a thing people talk about, is that stories are important, and stories shape us, and stories end up defining our reality, the stories we believe and live by. What I find, though, is I don't think many people are aware of the stories that they're living. It's like, that's interesting words, but... Do you know what is your story? Meaning, not your personal story of your life, but what do you think the story of the world is, even if you're a Christian? What's the bigger story here? Now, when we try to talk like that, uh, we get into what is called uh, meta-narratives, which are stories, overarching stories, that try to define existence in the world. So if I say, I believe in the Christian story, and it makes sense of your life, but you don't agree with what I'm saying. But I say, you agree with me or not, this is the story of the universe. And your story fits into it. This, this kind of idea is more and more difficult for people to grasp, right? Because it's much easier to think that we all have different beliefs, we all have different stories, we all have different realities. So there's something about John chapter 1 that might bother us, depending on where we're coming from. And that's that John believes that there's a core story of the universe. Believe it or not, in any kind of literal sense, John thinks it's the defining story of life. And he thinks that you should understand this even as much as you read the stories about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
John, it's almost like, why would John write this? Because he thinks it's missing. He thinks it's not quite emphasized or that people would be better off if they understood this story. Here's a quote about, a bit about what I'm talking about, but much better said. Neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new powerful tale, one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story, one so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole, one that, can even, that even shines some light into our future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change the society, then you have to tell an alternative story. What, what this philosopher is saying is that it's not just literally revolution or reforming things that changes the society. And it's kind of silly. I mean, in some ways, if you take it literally and you start challenging it, it sounds kind of ridiculous. If you just stop doing all that stuff and you tell a better story to everybody, <laughs> you change everything. Because what he's saying is that we all live by stories. This is the stuff of the heart. This is the stuff that if people get it, if they get wrapped up in it, then it would change their entire life. So we think about that as the story of Jesus. If, really, literally, if you came into the story of Jesus, maybe you've experienced this, and it begins to change your life. It changes your intellect. It changes your emotion. It changes your heart. But it begins to change your life. This is what John is doing. This is the point of the Gospels. Is they're telling a story that they believe makes sense of everything, wherever you're coming from. And will even, as he says, shine some light into your future. It'll make sense of your past. It'll make sense of where you've come from and what you've been through. It'll make sense of your present. It'll give you real help today. It'll change your life presently. And in your future, it'll make sense of your entire future. That's his promise. And I think even John chapter 1 does this. Christianity, as we talk about all the time, and this text is, and, the, and what will follow the next few weeks, shows this. Christianity is not primarily, and what we're talking about primarily, it's not about the mind. But it's actually not about the emotions either, primarily. All these things are important. I'm talking about if we're going to define the story completely, it's about something that's completely outside of us. We often talk about Jesus here, as the scriptures talk about him, that Jesus was a man that was born in the beginning of the first century. He was a, a peasant born to a relatively poor family, born to a mother who was young, born to a father who was a day laborer. Jesus grew up in this place, in a small town. Even within his people, he was marginalized. People knew very little about him until he was almost 30 years old. Before 30, most of what he did would have been like you would think of a day laborer today in Canada or even better somewhere else in the world. After this, after he comes on the scene around 30, he for only about three years has a public ministry, a public ministry that was seen by most people as illegitimate, meaning he was presenting himself as a rabbi, but he didn't really seem to have the credentials of a rabbi, and his views were wrong or very liberal. The people that he gathered to be his disciples were rejects, were people that didn't make the cut for any other rabbi, were people who were day laborers like him or bad people. The people that followed him then and his teaching angered all the people that were mainstream Jews and all the people that, that were like him that were rabbis, most of them. Near the, what becomes the end of his life, he's, he's rejected by one of the rejected people that he takes in, Judas. He's rejected and given over for a small amount of money to, and, and you know, Judas saw all the beautiful things that Jesus did. Jesus healed people which couldn't be argued with. Nobody tried to disprove that it happened. 
if you read the stories. He taught things that although they thought were wrong, they couldn't argue with anymore. They were kind of stopped in their tracks about it. But Jesus, because of the pressure of the the people in power, both religious people and political people, thought that Jesus' message was unsafe. It was counter to them, so just their pride, it bothered them. The fact that people listened to Jesus bothered them. And the fact that his message could destroy what they, were, what they had. The political people were leading the Roman Empire. And Jesus' message that he was king and not Caesar was troubling. For the religious people, it was that they had made a deal with the Romans. They had it pretty good. They could more or less do what they wanted, and they were taken care of financially. So they were kind of had to come in line and continue to support him. So they decided the best thing to do would be to kill Jesus. So although the Roman governor thinks that it's not really justified to kill the guy for what he did, even if he's a heretic, we'll kill him. So they kill Jesus. Three days later, he rises from the dead. He appears to his disciples. His disciples see him, are filled with what's called the Holy Spirit, and they begin to multiply. The church starts growing very quickly to about 25,000 people within that first so many years, and then within two, three hundred years, it becomes a worldwide movement of millions of people, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, in very, very, very short time. Something that's hard to explain other than some kind of miracle. That's the guy we're talking about. John says, yeah, that's the guy I know. But you have to understand that Jesus, who was a, who was a rabbi, who was born in Galilee in the first century, who was poor, who taught these things, who healed people, who died on that cross, who rose again from the dead. John says, I want to tell you about him. Genesis chapter 1 says in the beginning, and John starts his gospel as a retelling of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis is, is the kind of form, formative document for these people. This is how they define life. Genesis chapter 1, I come from God in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. So what's he doing? He's saying, let me tell you what what happened in Genesis. I'm going to show you something else that's between the lines of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the same language as Genesis chapter 1. And when he says the word, word here is the Greek word. This is going to be hard. It's the Greek word for word. but But when he says the word, what the Greek word means is a word that conveys an idea or a thought. So which is most words do this, right? If I say blue, blue, the way it's hard to get across, right? And someone could do this much better than I could. When I say blue, blue conveys a thought in my mind, okay? When he says word here, he's just using the word word. The word word here conveys a thought in the mind of God, which we'll see. This is a placeholder for a thought or an idea, so he's saying, in the beginning was the word that expresses some idea, was the word that expresses some thought. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So John hasn't talked about who he's talking about yet, right? You see what he's doing here? He's just starting his gospel completely different than the other guys. I, I can almost feel John like, he likes them. He's friends with them. They did actually have some arguments with each other as time went on. But he agrees with what they're saying. And you see later on, I mean, he, he shares their text too. But it's like John says, guys, like, like a prophet. This is what prophets do. Guys, you don't get it. You don't get it. I get it. You're right. I'm not saying you're wrong. But you don't get it. You're not listening. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was a thought. I'm just going to do this to try and make it a bit clearer and different than we think about it usually. In the beginning was an idea, was a thought. And that idea or that thought was with God himself, Yahweh. And that idea or thought was God himself. He was with God 
in the beginning. You see what just happened? Anybody notice? John switches what he's saying. At first, it's this idea or thought, and the thought becomes a he. John's theology, and I know there's some teaching here, but I feel it important to talk about the concept of story, of narrative, meta-narrative, and this one. In theology, there's an idea called Christology, which is the way that we understand who Jesus is as the Christ, as the Messiah. And the way people will talk about this that like talking about it is that there's a range of how they would judge your Christology. Okay? So everyone here has a Christology, whether you believe it or not. You don't consider yourself a Christian. For these people, it means that your Christology is very low. (laughs) It means you don't believe Jesus is God or anything. So you have a low Christology. John has what we would call a very, very high Christology. John says right here that Jesus is God. If I can skip all this stuff because I don't have time. In the beginning was the thought, and he, the thought, was God. This is, this is a radical idea. He, where Matthew, Mark, and Luke say this in so many words, John just comes out in the first line and says it. You guys are, you guys are scared. It's almost like John, you know? I think this is how maybe... That's my, that's my uh, psychological examination of John. He was with God in the beginning. So what he's saying is, remember Genesis. Remember the story of life. I understand this. Some of this is even hard for me to wrestle through, although I believe it. Is that he's saying, this is the story. This is what happened. In the beginning, the, the rabbi that you knew was not only the Messiah, the promised one, and you killed him. We killed him. But he was actually in Genesis chapter 1. He was present. He was, in fact, God himself. So in this Christology, when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it has what, what would be considered a somewhat lower Christology. It's not that they don't agree. It's just that they present Jesus as, as quite human, whereas John's not really interested in doing that. Jesus is human to John, but he wants to emphasize that Jesus is actually divine. Through him, actually he hasn't said Jesus yet, so I'm kind of spoiling his story. Through him, through the idea, the thought, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. I want to go back, actually, to this he, and I'd rather stay on that even. It's easy to skip by these things really quickly, because the message is quite simple. It's pretty straightforward, and John's not really hiding anything, who he thinks Jesus is. But I want you to think that he's also emphasizing what was happening in Genesis chapter 1. So he says, Jesus was with God in the beginning. At the center in the story then, the way that John presents his story is at the center of the universe, at the center of time, at the beginning of time, if you can even say that, as if there was a beginning, there was, a ma- there was an idea or a thought in the mind of God himself. And that thought or idea was a he, was a person. So what he's saying is that if you remove everything else from life, at the center of the universe, there is a personal, exists, there is a personal being who exists with a personality and a thought life and ideas. And for some reason, he says that Jesus is both with that God and he's in the mind of that God and he is that God. I understand if this is hard for you to grasp because it's not meant to be grasped. This is the problem. That's why it's hard to talk about. So this is the, I think, what I tried to say earlier. At, At the center of Christianity, it's not actually primarily about the mind or the emotions. And actually, it's not even about the heart although I'll say this a thousand other times other days. Primarily, it's about something that has nothing to do with you first. 
The story does not start with us. That's John's point. The story starts before there is a breath of human life is that in the mind of a personal God, there is a thought and an idea. There is a creative energy. There is a desire to do something. There is a relationship that exists that John does not know how to explain other than Jesus was with God and he was God. This is all we'll do to explain what people call the Trinity today. He was with God and he was God. John doesn't need to explain it. Or he thinks it can't be explained. It doesn't need to be explained. So it's not about the mind. It's not about the heart. It's not about the emotions. It's that beyond those things, there is somebody that exists out there, and it's his world, and it's his life, and it's his place. And we know from later in the story that what that person is like is love himself, if I can just say that for a second. That there exists an energy, if you like those words, a person a creator who is himself filled with love. And what John says is, which is radical, you know that guy that we killed? He was actually with that God. He was actually there in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 when he's reading with all his Jewish friends. He's saying, between the lines, actually in the beginning was not even God, but was this thought or idea that existed. And then he goes even further to say, Through him, through this person, all things were made. And he says, if you don't get that, what I mean is, without him, nothing was made that has been made. So he said, this is amazing. There was a thought or an idea in the mind of God, and through that person, everything came into existence that has come into existence. If you remember in Genesis chapter 1, it says says that every time God creates something, he speaks. He wants to create light. He has an idea in his mind. I think I'd like to create light today. And he says, let there be light. And then there was light. So John rereads it. And he says, through Jesus, all things were made. So when you remember that happened, somehow in there, the rabbi from Galilee was there in the midst. However you want to think about it. Jesus is like a, like a tunnel that everything God is goes through is some kind of pathway Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So this was beautiful. Is this when it becomes about you a little bit? So I was made. I was created. So he says that in the mind of God in the beginning there was a thought or an idea, a creative desire. And then, it's, and then it spoke out through the word. Everything. So me, I was a thought or an idea in the mind of God. And that thought was like within the the thought itself. If I'm a word, I was a word in the mind of God. And then I was spoken out and that happened through the rabbi. It's hard to believe this stuff. (laughs) If I wasn't already a follower of Jesus, I might have trouble with this. So, So what he says is that every person that's existed existed first in the mind of God as a thought or an idea that he desired, ah, I'd like to make that, and I'm going to do it. And it was the rabbi that actually did it. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. This is when John takes a kind of turn, because before this, he's talking about Jesus He's saying that Jesus existed in the beginning before all time, that there is a story that exists, a meta-narrative that makes sense of all things. It's not judgmental. 
This is not about judgmentalism or saying somebody's wrong and someone's right. Although, if we learned anything the last little while, there are things called truth and facts, okay, for everything, including this, though, not just politics. But there's, if there's truth and facts about politics, then there's truth and facts about the universe, about existence. And it's not about pride, about saying that somebody or some religion has got it correct. That actually misses the point of what John's saying. John's saying there's something greater than our religious efforts, whether I call them Christianity or Judaism or not. There is something that exists out there, a thought or an idea in the mind of God that trumps everybody else's thoughts and ideas. And in the beginning, there is a story that there, in the beginning, there existed, think about how could this be judgmental? In the beginning, there existed a thought or an idea. And that thought or an idea desired to speak out and create things out of I mean, if you read this, and that's all you read, out of nothing other than the desire to do it. And that everything that was made, everything that exists, he doesn't even say made, right? Everything that exists today existed first in the mind of God as an idea, and then he brought it into being. That sounds pretty good to me, really. I mean, this, by the way, says nothing about how it works. So all discussions about science and the way things develop is irrelevant to the story. It doesn't prove it wrong or prove it right. The point of the story is that, we, is that, is that ma- all material things first existed in the mind of God as a desire to bring them about. That's what the story means, not how they came into being, not how long it took, but that they did. What that means is, the reason that's good news for anybody and why it's a good story to live by is that every material thing in the world has intrinsic value and worth. Every human being, every created thing. Now, we have to work out what that means. <laughs> That's why we have different ethics and ways of behaving. But we should have ethics and ways of behaving because everything matters. It doesn't just matter to me, but it matters to God because he thought it up and made it. And this is why every human being has value and no human being has more value than the other because they all existed in the mind of God in the beginning. So he says, after that, in him, he turns to the thought again. I understand it's hard to grasp, but just go with it. In the thought or, the, or in this idea was this thing called life. The word for life here, and I like it, is Zoe. Okay? In him was Zoe. That's funny. And that's true too, hey? See? In him was Zoe. Zoe. And that Zoe was the photos of all mankind. It's funny. Photos, huh? That's where the word light comes from. <laughs> In him was this thing called Zoe, which there's many words for life, or a few words for life. And this one means a divine kind of life, the life of God himself. In him was not just natural life, but was the essence of life. And that essence of life was the light of all people. What in the world does that mean? I don't actually know. Uh, Life is not visible, right? I mean, I guess. I mean, if Manuel is breathing, I could say there's life in Manuel. But as a substance, it's not visible. So he says, in Jesus was the essence of life himself. And that essence of life was light to all people. I'm going to give you my take on this. But I, don't, I wouldn't fully respect anybody that told you that they knew exactly what it meant. Because <laughs> I don't think it's the point here. I don't think John knows exactly what he means. This is inspiration. He's trying to tap in. If it's, he's trying to say, I'm inspired that this is what happened before all time. In him was life, the essence of life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
you know how we say in English, uh, or you can't say in English, like, if I look at somebody, I'm like, the, the lights just aren't on there, you know? Like, their, their lights aren't on, which means, like, they're, like, dazed and out, right? Or they're not living, right? And I think this saying says something about what we mean by life, is that light in the scriptures, and even the way we understand it, is, is equal to vitality and life. <laughs> I don't know how to say it, right? It's like, as opposed to darkness, it's good, and it's beautiful. The other thing is that is, is interesting is that light, although you can see it, is not a substance, I'm told. <laughs> I don't really know anything about this stuff either. Light is, in other words, light is not a fixed object that you can, or at least without something that I don't understand, grab a hold of. <laughs> Light's not a fixed object. In fact, it's made up of a bunch of photons that just scatter. The life of God is something that's always moving, you see? So for example, when God creates all the world, he says, let there be light. And it's like the first thing that begins to create what he wants. That same light, he says, is that as we were made, this is what's also good about the story. Is not only does everybody have intrinsic value because they were made by God, but they were made from a source, which is the essence of life itself. I come from the essence of life itself. I was made with this thing called Zoe, which the story says not everybody has. Everybody has life. Not everybody has Zoe, which is the life of God in them, the way we were made to be. And that life becomes, for me, it turns my lights on. We come from Jesus, to make it really simply. We come from Jesus. That's the story. We, the rabbi that we knew, this is the part that's unbelievable to people. And I get it. The rabbi that we knew, the historical figure, is himself the source of all human life. And is himself not only the source of all human life, but the one that gives light to all people. Light, I think, here, you could take it a few different ways and probably still be correct. It's the thing that turns your lights on. That means it gives you the experience of life itself. The light that God spoke into the universe when the earth was all good and not bad is spoken into us where I am all good and not bad in Jesus. The light that turns my lights on to where I now understand. There's an intellectual side. I understand the universe. This, is, this, this sounds proud. <laughs> But it's not because of me. It's because there's an external thing that came into me. And it says, the scriptures say that the person who follows Jesus has the light of God in them. We see this at the end, too. So it's not about, the story of John is not about choosing a religion. The story that John's saying is that there's a story that's true of everybody, no matter your religion. It might contradict your religion, but it's not important yet. The point is there's a story beyond religion, beyond ideas, beyond thoughts that defines everybody. You, you might have different words for it. You might be wrong about it. But the point is, he says, everybody comes from this thing. He doesn't even use the word Jesus yet. I'm just using it. Everybody comes from this source in the mind of God who loves them. And from the mind of God who spoke them into existence, he put his own life in them. By the way, it's a good thing to have this thing called Zoe. Something that we should want. It's something that if people knew what it was, nobody would not want it. And that that life put inside of us turns the lights on for people. It makes us who we were made to be in the first place. It restores me to what it means to be a human being. And then he says this, the same word. The light shines in the darkness. 
and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't understand it. These are all options for how you can read it. So when the guy writes this, when John writes this, he means all three or a combination of them. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't understand it, hasn't been able to understand it. You see what John's saying is very literally, what John's saying is I have a story that would change your life if you believe it today. Even this simple one. And this is what's happened, he said. Because he's being very uh, realistic and literal now. You know what happened with Jesus. The light, Jesus, shined in the darkness. The light came into our world and it shined. And this is what's beautiful. Is that no one can deny the beauty of Jesus' life. You can disagree with his ideas. Or you can even say that he's not the Christ or God. These are all fine. Those are, those are legitimate beliefs. However, what's hard to deny is the, is the beauty of his actions, is the beauty of his person, is the beauty of, of, of what he taught. Whether you believe it or not, it's, it's, it's quite good. And, it, and, it's, and, and to go back, usually when that happens, at some point we realize there's a dark side to a person that we've put on a pedestal. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that, that guy taught good things. An example of this is Mother Teresa. Or uh, Martin Luther King Jr. even, who no one can deny the beauty of his life, but apparently his home life was not as beautiful. Whether it's all that we, people say or not, it was not as beautiful as his public fight for justice. Mother Teresa lived a life that was beautiful, that few can deny, but after she passed away and her diaries were discovered, Mother Teresa struggled deeply, deeply in her relationship with God, which is not a bad thing. But it just shows that there was another side to her life, a shadow side that she could never overcome. Depression. Uh, not that these were her fault. But even outside, you see one image. In the other side, you saw depression, constantly feeling like she was upsetting God, constantly feeling like that, that she was disappointing him, that she couldn't live up, even as she loved others. She couldn't feel love. Jesus, on the other hand, it's been a while, and it's hard to say anything else. <laughs> other than it's beautiful. So what he's saying is, the light shined in the darkness of our world, and the darkness couldn't understand it, so they killed it. The light shined in the darkness of the world, and the darkness couldn't overcome it, because even when they killed it, it shined again. He rose again from the dead. So what he's saying is, this is where you come from. Jesus is amazing. His point is, Jesus is more amazing than you understand. And he's, 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 he's talking about Christology, he's higher than can be expressed with words. There is a part of Christianity that is unbelievable, hard to believe. And this is it. Is he saying, without apprehension, that Jesus is God himself, the image of God, the person of God, the thought of God, with God, in God, he is God. The rabbi that we all knew and, and ate with and, and, and was humiliated publicly is the one who spoke the people who killed him into existence. That's what Jesus is saying. Why is it good to believe that story? is that it begins to make sense of other things, not just intellectually, but in your heart. My life has meaning. More meaning than I will ever comprehend in my life. I come from somebody who thought me up, who spoke me into existence, and who gave me his life. You know what? Jesus didn't just give me his life when he died, but he gave me his life from the beginning. And now I can come back into that story. This is why it's good news is because when you go through times that are difficult, 
If you feel like you watch the news or something and it feels like things are bad, there are other words. And you, or, or you go through something in life. I mean, this could be anything. I'm just trying to, I don't know where you're at. John says, step away for a second and remember the picture. We come from somewhere. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. And the assumption here is that it won't overcome it. John writes the Gospel of John near the end of his life. And near the end of his life, he's exiled to an island called Patmos. Uh, most of his friends were killed, and John got it pretty good, where he was just exiled to a lonely island. Probably didn't live very well, but he didn't die in the same ways that others did. John writes in that time the revelation. You see a guy on an island just kind of like, probably looks pretty crazy. People thought he was for sure. But what he understood was that even the emperor at the time who had ordered his exile, which in you read Revelation is clear too, that he sees that uh, evil is, work, is at work in the world. Darkness is at work in the world through structures and people and things. It's spiritual and it's physical and practical. What he says is, he writes this as an old man. And he's remembering his life, the amazing things that have happened. He's remembering his life with Jesus as as walking on the earth and after through his spirit now. He's remembering life and he tells the story. In the beginning was the thought or the idea. He's thinking about Jesus now. In the beginning was the thought or the idea. The idea was with God. It was with Yahweh. The idea was Yahweh. It was him. The Jesus we saw is actually, we can know God. We can know him. We can see him. We saw him, in fact. (laughs) And he's still active. He's still living. And we can know him. So as I I said before, the Gospel of John is actually an invitation to, it's just an invitation into a new story. The story is not about, if you've seen it so far, it's, it's not about choosing a religion. It's, about, it's not about thinking, actually, at first. It's about getting wrapped up in a story, getting wrapped up in a message, letting it define you and letting it define life for you. Instead, what it is, if you think about the story, is it's an invitation to come back to the beginning. John's saying, why don't, you, why don't we go back a bit further than Mar- Matthew, Mark, and Luke keep going back. Let's go back to the beginning, and I want you to not just live Jesus' birth, but I want you to relive Jesus' pre-birth all the way back, because this says something about who you are too. That in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life itself, and that life was the light of all mankind. Everything good in us, everything beautiful, everything true in humanity is light. And it's the light that comes from God himself. Even today, anything you see that's beautiful, I don't care if they call themselves a Christian or not, anything in the world that's beautiful and good and true comes from God. It's a shadow. It's a leftover. It's what we call the image of God left on the person. And what John's invitation is, is that's, that's like an appetizer to who you really were made to be. And coming in contact with the source of life itself is the best thing that could happen. And this story trumps every other story you could tell. 
It's much better, I promise. Not because, it's much better that material things that we think about, you know, one of the common stories in our world today is that material things randomly came into existence. Again, I don't care about the science of it. This Bible is not a science textbook. But the, the, the part about that that John says, this is a better story, is that all those material things have intrinsic meaning and value. Worth. They were desired. They were thought up. I didn't create myself. And I'm not lost. But I'm made with the life of God himself. I'm remembered by God. His light is in me. And that light that's in me cannot be overcome by anything. So this, this story leads you to a place for the future of hope. What he says is the light shines, in, shines presently in the darkness, and the darkness has not been able to destroy it, to overcome it, to comprehend it, to understand it. Does this make sense? All right. What's different about the Gospel of John for us and for this series for Word Made Flesh is that there is a truth here that is not so clear elsewhere. And that is that Jesus is himself God. This is the part that bothers us, I think. And, that I, and I understand why it would bother someone else. But to say that Jesus is God is actually not even first to say that therefore your beliefs, if they're not that, are wrong. I think Jesus would say that they're incomplete. Every religious idea, every desire, every way that you want to define the world is not necessarily bad, although it could be bad. But it is itself a shadow of what you were made for. This story makes sense of all those other little stories. The hard part is, which has always been the hard part, is that God is, reveals himself as somebody that's hard to accept. The God of the universe who spoke everything into existence reveals himself as a child, as a poor rabbi, as someone who's rejected, as someone who's killed as someone who rises from the dead and some still don't believe. That's the hard part. I don't think it's that some people are right and some people are wrong. It's, that's what's hard for us to accept, that that could possibly be true. But what John's saying is, this is the man that I've known. And I'm telling you, imagine this, don't receive it from me. I don't know anything. John doesn't know that much either, but he sure knows a lot more than I do. I walked with the guy. It's written by a real person. I walked with the guy. He's writing this down because he wanted people to read it and know. I walked with him. I've suffered the greater part of my life for him because I know what I saw and I know what I heard. No Christian of John's era, under no circumstance, there's no proof nowhere that anybody of any of these people denied Jesus in the end. They all accepted their fate kill me, exile me, ruin my reputation. Whatever you want to do, do it, because I can't deny the facts. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org.